You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Brocha. This is, on principle, Challenges in Jewish Education with my dear, dear friend, Rabbi Jonathan Kroll of Salanter, Akiva, Riverdale. Um, it's a week off, and John, I know that uh, you need this week because um, you're not just convalescing from uh, the first semester of school. Uh, tell us what you're convalescing from during this week. I had the uh, privilege of donating one of my, uh, my left kidney I donated a few days ago. So I am uh, at home recuperating, gaining my strength back. So I'll be able to go back to school in about a week or so and uh, hopefully be full of vim and vigor. Now, when you told me this a couple of days ago, I generally, I don't miss a beat, but I said, wow, nobody can see me doing this, but I'm, I'm actually bowing to you with my hands because people who, who do what you do, and of course, this was uh, in a way um, pushed by Project Renewal, uh, which I think is a Jewish program, but uh, it's clearly trying to get as many kidneys to those who need it. And we know the great pella of the Berea is, is that most healthy individuals don't need two kidneys. And yet that one kidney that is sort of unneeded for them is the difference between life and death for so many others. And Project Renewal, uh, I know many uh, people who have uh, dedicated, it's strange, but I know a, a, a number of them. And every single one who has donated has such a simcha about what this donation means how and, and how they can save someone's life. So tell us what brought this about for you. Well, a lot of it has to do with renewal. I, I'm not, I'm not a, the pioneer here. I, I, like you, I knew a bunch of people who had, you know, previously had given a kidney through renewal. It was very uh, kind of interesting to me. I'd done some research on it. I actually had given a shear uh, a couple of years ago on the topic of kidney donation and halacha and looked at like, you know, just the, and I researched the organization of uh, renewal at that time. And in the process, it really became like, you know, it really became very compelling to me to at least, even if I wasn't going to be able to give a kidney to at least like go through the process, see whether I'm, I'm in fact eligible to give a kidney. I, mean, I would tell you, I, I read, there was a tshuva, in the Minchas Asher, but Rav Asher Weiss, where he says, uh, I don't remember the exact language, but he's very, um, like, Lulei de Mistafina, I would really be, it's close to saying, it's not just mutter, but it may be, since the risk is so, if the risk, if you are healthy enough, the risk is so low for you, it's, you know, he said, I don't want to say it's it's a, it's a chiyuv, but it's close to me saying it's a chiyuv. It's almost like yeah. you, that you know how to swim well and you let the person drown. Yeah, so I've, I've been, I, I looked at it, you know, I'll be honest, I, I looked at it like that, and I'm uh, generally like to, a little adventurous spirit. I, I did a little research about the organization. I was curious about it. I spoke about it in school actually once last year. I was like, you know, I should really should put my money where my mouth is. You know, if I talked about it, I think it's such, such an important thing. Maybe I should just like... So let me ask you something. What is the benchmark that you need to reach to be able to be a kidney donor? I mean, I know how old you are. I'm 52 years old. I'm towards the older end of, of kidney donors. 
In the United States, I believe you can give up to, I think, till older, I think till 70, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not, don't quote me on that. But I'm definitely in, in towards the older age um, that you give a kidney. They gave me a, a battery of tests, um, tested everything, like blood, a lot of blood tests, a lot of health tests, blood pressure. You know, they go through a whole bunch of things. It's interesting they do it so that the medical team for the donor does not know the medical team for the recipient. Just to make sure, for medical ethical medical ethics reasons, so that nobody is influencing one party to do uh, something that's not in their own personal best interests. So the doctors that I went to at Mount Sinai, who were working with me, cleared me, and I had only gone to Mount Sinai because I had I had probably around March or April of last year, I had sent uh, I reached out to renewal. I said, "Give me, send me a kit." Let me do a swab of my cheek and see if I can be a candidate for somebody. And so I gave that to them, and they, and I didn't hear anything from them. So let's just explain for the medically deficient who don't have that information. In other words, since you are putting one of your organs to someone else, in order for there not to be a abject rea- rejection, there has to be a certain type of genetic match. Some kind of genetic match. I don't know exactly what what needs to be what needs to match. Something in terms of blood type, I'm A positive. I believe my recipient is also A positive. Um, in terms of my blood, there's also more detail in terms of genetic um, similarities. So I put my my gene, my, my DNA into their system, and I hadn't heard from them. And then sometime in September, I got a call from them saying, it looks like you're a match for somebody. Which, are you still interested? So I said, yeah, sure, I'm still interested. What do I got to do? I said, okay, well, the guy who looks like it might be a match for you is getting his treatment at Mount Sinai. Here's the transplant at Mount Sinai. You have an appointment, you know, set up with them, I don't know, in a couple of weeks, show up and you'll start the process. So I started that. I show, I show, my first my first point was holomoid succus. I showed up holomoid succus, took a bunch of tests, um, and then I had a bunch of tests. What sort of tests were those? Lots of blood tests. I had to do uh, blood pressure. At one point, they thought my blood pressure was too high. I had to do a 24-hour blood pressure monitor, you know, for when I was at home. I had to go to a cardiologist. I had to um, go to the the guy who did the surgery is a urologist. So I had to see a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of physicians to give, give all those different kinds of plans. A lot of it is blood tests. One thing we've talked about over the years, we're coming to almost three years since COVID reared its head, and we've talked each other about you know, staying in shape and stuff. And I know that you used a lot of the COVID lockdown and whole era to take a little bit away of what I would never say that you were carrying a big spare tire, but you lost quite a bit of weight during COVID. Lost a little weight. I lost a little weight. So I, yeah, so I, I also. You, so that's what I want to say. If you would have still been in your pre-COVID body, do you think you would have been a man? I think I would have been, I think I would have been ineligible. Yeah. I, I think you have to have, um, you know, your BMI has to be not in the, you know, I, I never would, I, I never would have thought of myself as obese, but I think that clinically, uh, my BMI was over uh, whatever it was twenty five or something like that. I, I at some point, I think I would not have been considered eligible. So I, I wonder what the medical reason for that is. Is that because the the more weight you put on, the harder your your own personal kidneys need to work, and you need both of them. I'm not sure it might have, it might have, I don't, I don't know the answer to the question. I also think it's just something about generally the more overweight you are, the generally less healthy you are. 
if they're doing a big surgery on you, they want to make sure that your body is able to withstand it. Right. No, make no mistake about it. It was a big surgery. You were under for how many hours? About three and a half hours, I believe. It was pretty remarkable. I mean, it's like really, uh, I, I showed up in the morning at Mount Sinai Hospital and the guy from Renewal is there to greet me. Well, let's just say, but before you go on, I just we, we also, I guess, need to tell everybody that Project Renewal, which is a, a great organization, and I want to talk a little bit about why people might not want to do it, but the monies that you or I or anybody would donate would go for getting these doctors or getting these tests. You can see that they need a lot of Sadaka, they need a lot of money in order to function properly because it isn't just about knocking on the door and giving, you know, uh, some Shabbos food to someone, right? You're talking here about, you know, this this procedure of your donor and uh, you as the donor and the other person the recipient, if you probably take the amount of money that this whole thing costs, it's probably close to half quarter or to half a million dollars. Probably. I assume, yeah, I assume it's in that range. I mean, I, I, as the donor, didn't pay a penny. Right. You know, renewal makes it, you know, they try to make it as comfortable and easy for me to, you know, they make sure they pay, they take care of all my, you know, parking on the Upper East Side is $60 for an hour. So, you know, they, they take care of my parking and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what the story was in terms of the recipient, whether his insurance covered, to what extent his insurance covers it, to what extent Renewal covers part of the medical expenses. I don't know how that works. But you can see how... Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a major financial right. operation. Right. So, right. And, and Renewal is probably going to, again, if, if to even run and be efficient, they're going to need millions and millions of dollars. I assume uh, so. To be able to do it. Okay. So let's get back. So I, the only reason I said this, because for people listening who want to, especially at this end of this calendar year, uh, want to give a donation as the tax season comes up, a project renewal, uh, and again, we'll talk about maybe if there is some halakhic issues with it, but it seems to be a very wonderful organization and worth your money and they need your money in order to keep on saving people's lives. So let's go back to your personal story, the John Kroll story. So you, as you said, it was a three and a half hour operation and go ahead. You you showed up. Show up at five, about 5.45 in the morning on Thursday. Meet the guy. The, re, the renewal representative is there at the hospital to greet me. Uh, they take me into the waiting room, pre-op, getting ready to get started there. I meet with my doc. My, my surgeon is there. They know that it's confirming that they're doing it on my on my left side. I'll show you on the Zoom. I still have not been able to get the MP off of my arm. Michael Polisi is the name of my surgeon, who is an expert. He's really extraordinary. So he does, uh, just to make sure that in the OR, they got the right guy there on the table, he does uh, put a permanent marker. I assume it'll come off at some point. So you meet with everybody there, and then they take you into the take you into the OR. Um, that's the last thing I remember. I remember walking into the OR um, and about, you know, it looked like it does in, on TV shows. They wheel me to the outside the OR on a gurney. And then I walk into the OR and five seconds later, I'm unconscious. I don't remember anything else after that until I'm in recovery. Did they uh, save a film of the of the event so you can see how they did it? I don't think they did that. The only thing I know... I uh, again, m- my renewal rep was again because the, the way they do it, the recipient who I don't know, I've never met him before. I do know he's a gentleman, I believe in his 
you know, 70s, low 70s. He's, you know, been on dialysis for a while and, you know, not, not in the best of physical condition. And I know what I found very, uh, you know, it was very moving to me Thursday morning when the, when the renewal rep says to me, he goes, you know, the recipient just wanted me to let you know that he was, you know, you should just know he has a six-year-old grandson. I'm going to cry saying it. He has a six-year-old grandson and he just wants to thank you. Listen, the idea of being able to look, I can tell you as not yet 60, but men very often when I think about pushing through health issues and other things, I say, I want to live for my grandchildren. And that is really what, you know, what you end up thinking that you want to be there for them. And you've given, you've given this fellow uh, the chance. Is there something, by the way, I'm sure you're not the expert here. We should probably have a, a renewal person here as a, to make the program really work. But is it usually man to man and woman to woman? Or is it? I don't be- know the answer to that question. I know this guy happens to be a, a, a man. Oh, I gave it to you. I don't know the answer to that. Though. The, um, so then I gave the kidney. I then next thing I know, I'm in recovery. And then I see, um, I'm in a, you know, in the room there overnight in post-op. And, you know, they urged me to start moving a little bit. It's to be able to, the next day, be able to get out. And I was able to be released. They discharged me from the hospital about noon on Friday. Just the other day. Because we're, we're recording this 30 hours after the surgery, I was home. Now, I, I remember when I, I spoke to you, actually, on Friday, we were talking. And you told me that you're that you're still on the Percocets. Are you still feeling the pain of the incision? Yeah, I definitely feel the pain. I'm, I'm not taking the painkillers um, during the day now. I'm just going to take them at night to help me sleep at night. Don't be too dependent on the painkillers. I'm feeling better. Every day I'm feeling a little bit better. You know, I think as far as what the renewal people have told me and anybody else I spoke to the hospital, it seems like I'm on a pretty typical recovery process. You know, feels like I did a thousand, a million sit-ups is how I describe the feeling in my stomach. Would you say that, you know, and obviously it's, it, it is a incredible uh, giving of your time, effort, and body when you did this halachic research into this question, what would be the halachic reason to abstain from this? Because of the risk? And there's two, there are two issues. One of them is risk, although I think the risk is not that large. I, I think more is the the pain and the difficulty that you'd be going through post-surgery. So in other words, is there a halachic issue that you know about? Again, maybe you should be asking me since I'm supposedly this rabbinical figure in terms of giving a, an organ to another person. Is there some halachic issue that some farms say should not be done that you have to, as we know, you know the, there's a sacrosanct of the organs that you have in your body? Yeah, I'm not, I, I, I don't think that that has been, meaning you'll, you'll see already, you look at the shutim, you do find that in the, I forget when the first kidney transplant was, I don't remember, but you do find early on when they talk about the risk, the mortality risk being not negligible, post can talk about it as being like a midas chasidus, but, you know, or maybe being usur uh, to do. Right. This is the question of whether you're allowed to go into a suffix sakona, even to, even for a vada of someone else. So the question that I think at this at this point, my impression is in looking at the post that I looked at is that the question of 
it wouldn't be us. I don't think you're going to find any postman who say it's usser because it's not the sakana is so minuscule right now. Um, I think that the there's a question if I okay I didn't prepare for this to look it up right now, but but the you can't really mandate that somebody puts themselves in what is essentially a very painful situation to necessarily save somebody. I think what's I think what's very interesting, you know, when when we talk about let's say Ramosha Weiss and others to are backing Project Renewal, but that's not exactly the case when it comes to organ donation post mortem. Yeah, so that's that's what's really interesting here. This is like a whole different ball game. You know, if you if you knew if you knew nothing about Jewish law or anything, you'd say, "Of course, <laughs> I understand not endangering yourself when you're when you're alive, but once you're dead, why can't the heart organs be harvested to help other people?" But there, it's actually there you get into the controversy uh, that is about forty or fifty years old already about uh, what you can do for nivul hames nebuch, what you're allowed to do in terms of opening up once a body has died. So it's, it's it's sort of a parrot. It's sort of an interesting a paradox that I think it's also it's it's not just the Nivel Hamas issue. The question is whether some of those organ transplants would actually be dependent on, on brain death issues. Right, right, right. I, I'm, I'm talking more about the Nivel Nivel Hamas. Yeah, there is, there is a certain irony there. Yeah, I don't know if you can harvest a kidney from someone who has just died. It's doable, but it's, it's not nearly as viable. We just understand this. My surgery was taking place in whatever this o, whatever OR I was in. The recipient was in the next door with his surgical team. They're in contact with each other so that when he's ready to have the kidney transplanted into his body, that's when they make the final cut on me to remove the kidney. They pull it out and it's, the surgeon said it's out of my body before it's in his body for a total of two minutes. I'll tell you, I'm very proud of you, but I'm thinking to myself as we're looking at each other, and of course, I sort of see you a little bit as, you know, as one of my children in some way, but I'm wondering if one of my kids would call me and say, I want to do this. Like, what would I say? Like, would I say, applaud and say, go ahead, buddy, and do it? I, I'm not sure. There's a little bit of a, I'm going to be honest, a little bit of tinge of worry. I'll tell you, my, I'll, tell, I'll tell you. So again, my, my family's reaction was, my wife and kids were all very supportive. I think I felt like proud, um, you know, concerned a little bit, but mostly thought this was a great thing. They, they you know, they want, you know, there's a lot of trust in the physicians. If the physicians think this is safe and healthy and good, then, you know, I also felt like my kids, I didn't feel like I was doing it at an age where I was worried that I was going to have to give it to my kids. My kids are healthy. Baruch Hashem. They're old enough now that I'm not really concerned about the being. Who knows? I may have to, you know, uh, you know but at, at this point, they're healthy people. I'm not worried about having to donate kidneys to my family members right now. My parents were a little bit like cautious. Are uh, you sure you want to do this? They, but when I, when I kind of had mentioned it to them, but at the end of the day, once I did it, they felt very good about it. Right, because again, I can see how, as you say, maybe we're going to need this later on. I mean, it is in a way uh, like any sort of toiva that you know the selfishness kicks in. But I can see how a parent, you know, might be might be nervous about it, as as as, as great and wonderful thing as it is. You know, one of the things we talked about off pod was how much you want to point to yourself 
as a model of someone who donated. And again, I don't know what uh, renewals, what their numbers are. And renewal is just one of many different foundations to try to get kidneys for persons. I think, yeah, I think renewal is really the only game in town in terms of the from world trying to like coordinate matches for kidneys. But I will say, yeah, the question you raised is important. You know, a certain ma- certain measure, it's like the ideal here would be to be very private and modest about this. Like feels more right. On the other hand, it also feels more right to be a little more public about it because, you know, the hope would be that this will become a little bit more normal. And there's something insane, if you think about it, that there are thousands of people who are dying because they don't have functioning kidneys. And there are millions of people who have an extra kidney that don't need it. You would think that we should be able to figure out a way to find amongst those millions and millions of people who have an extra kidney to be able to figure out a way to match at least a few thousand with the people who need. Let me just explain for our our listeners that once a person who is ill with kidney disease uh, reaches a state that the dialysis is so extreme, they don't, they no longer become candidates for getting another kidney. So you, you need to act in a way, although you told me your recipient might have been for a number of years. I know from my research into this area, because of my sister, that there comes a point when you are so ill and you're going through dialysis so much that they don't believe a transplant will help you anymore. So as you say, there are people who, who we need to help. The reason why I did this was because I knew of friends of mine who had done this. If I hadn't heard of you know, a couple of people I know who did this, I don't think I would have been the first one to be the Nachshon, jumping into the Yamsuf to do this myself. I did this because I know there are other people who did it and did it successfully. And I know there's an organization called Renewal that is coordinating this. So if in some measure... You know, I can play that role for other people. They say, oh, listen, you know, John Kroll seems like a mildly healthy guy and he's did okay afterwards, like a million bucks for having given somebody the life. That sounds like a really cool thing. Maybe I could do that. If I, that was something that so inspired somebody to save somebody else's life, that'd be great. I feel really good about that. So in that sense, I don't want to be so private about it. And it's not only John Kroll as a, a guy who lives in, uh, you know, in Riverdale and has friends and, and in the community. You're also John Kroll, the principal of the school, and therefore you could use that bully pulpit of being the principal. I wasn't going to send anything. I didn't tell. I didn't like make an announcement about this before, but Renewal had put out a uh, on their social media on Thursday morning, like a video of me saying something before I when I got to the hospital. And then that got liked by a lot of SAR people that was reposted by SAR's um, Instagram. And then so Friday morning, I sent out an email to the, the school community, like, you know, kind of talking about what, what just happened and thanking people that I'd gotten. Like, I'd already been getting many, many messages of like really warm wishes. So I wanted to thank people for that. And so I share. I did share that on Friday morning. I let people. I thank people for their warm wishes, and that resulted in a lot more warm wishes. I guess is it's important, you know, for the kids in the school to, and I get to to recognize. Now, you don't want, to, as you say, is a teenager 
a candidate for being a donor? Or do they have to? I don't be- think no. Teen- you're, you're not. You're not a candidate to be a teenager. I think you have to be. I think you have to be 21 in the United States. But there's a, there's, a, there's another piece of chinuch here, which is that as like a guy who plays a, a a leadership role in the school, I want students to know that the Torah puts certain you know expectations upon me, and that like you know I put my money where my mouth is, and like you can do something that makes a big difference in someone's life. And you could again, I don't think everyone has to do this. This is not them that this is like again, this recovery is awful. It's really not. It's really much more painful than I thought it was going to be. But you know, it's only, I'm only day three. Hopefully, by the next couple of days, I'll, I'll be I'll feel a lot better. But um, I don't think everyone should do this. But I want people to know that, like you know, you learn about the halacha. I, you know, I could teach Rosh Weiss's thing, Karov Levadai, that there's a uh, I'm not sure if that was his language. There's a chiyuv here that there's you know at least at least take it seriously and look into it if you're not going to if even if you're not going to do it. Do you think also, as I as I sort of alluded to before, that even like you said, the people of Riverdale, is it is it something that you think has enveloped all, as we say in Hebrew, Shidrat Uma, Ksidim, Litvish, Shivish? Yes. I think there's something very interesting. I was talking the um I very much appreciated the people I was working with renewal. One's like a Lakewood guy, another guy's a Hasidish guy from Brooklyn. And there is something I found very heartwarming. It's like kind of like when you're dealing with Satmer, Beaker Holem. You know, there's no there's no machlekes when you're talking about um, saving people's lives and this kind no, of stuff. No, no. I think we've talked about it in the past, how the Chassidim have actually been at the forefront of of that, not just the Gemilas Chesed of people who are in the hospital, but actually been there and uh, and helping in, in, in all different phases. There's something about being involved, not just in, you know, my very narrow slice of the modern orthodox world getting a little bit of you know kind of involvement people i've worked with in in renewal are a little more of the yeshivish and hasidish world and again i have no idea i have no idea what my recipient is i have no idea if he's from not from i don't know you know i don't know anything about him so maybe you know not only your students but your community as i think that's what you're trying to get that that they should realize that this is something yes there's something that's it's fine to have machlekes. Machlekes is good. People should have different thoughts. People should think different things. All that's true. Not everybody has to be the same flavor. But uh, when it comes to certain things, everybody's on the same team. John, look, I really appreciate you taking time out of uh, your convalescence to talk about this. And I know it's it's because of the passion of you have for this, what you've gone through and how important it is. But I think you uh, let's take note that as we're talking, the final minutes of, of Hanukkah, are sort of evaporating, you know, and we know Zeus Hanukkah is, is so special. It's sort of like the ore of Hanukkah is sort of like, although it seems to just wither away, uh, for others, it really it, it comes to fruition as what was this holiday about? And I think hearing your story, uh, it really you know, makes so concrete the idea of Mesiras Nefesh that Hanukkah is built on. You know, uh, clearly, you know, the 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 Muhammad that the Kashmanoyim began and everything that was uh, that, that was allowed the, the nest of the Pachashem to happen was Mesiras Nefesh. The Mesiras Nefesh of being willing to, as you said, put not just put your money where your mouth is, but to put your body into what clearly could be a dangerous situation for saving Kal Yisrael, saving Kal Yisrael in the future, realizing that we were at a point that we could not just allow ourselves to be assimilated to be gone, and again, you your Hanukkah was was an act of 
of modern Messiris Nefesh. Many people wonder, well, how can I be Messiris Nefesh? I mean, Rashach always spoke about living with Messiris Nefesh. Uh, but this is, and, and that would be perhaps finding time to do all your mitzvahs and pushing all the stuff you want to do on the side. But here, I think Project Renewal, for those that are healthy enough to pass through, is really a chance to say, yes, this is how you can be Meiser Nefesh. How you can be Meiser part of your life and, and give it for the sake of Hatzalah's Nefesh. So I think it really is uh, very you know, <laughs> correct that we're speaking about this as that Or Hanukkah. And maybe even something that you've said here, it got me thinking, you know, when you talked about the tragedy of the thousands and thousands of people who have died from kidney disease. My sister is one of them. My father, Olashalom, said to me when his kidneys were starting to not work properly, he said when he saw the nephrologist come in, he said in Yiddish, when it has to do with the kidneys, you know that that's the worst situation. The nephrologists are called Dr. Death. You know that. The ones that 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 are that are working at that that last stage when sepsis starts to kick in, it's really terrible. And and if you think about it, based on what you're saying, John, why did the Rabbi Shalom create most people with two kidneys, with one of them, you know, not necessarily being necessary for normal function of 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 getting rid of the waste materials in the body? Is it possible that the purpose of why the Rabbi Shalom actually created humans with these two kidneys was that there would be a time where we'd be re- where we could have the, the medical means to be able to do these transplants to be able to be noisane from one to the other. I mean maybe that's really the tachlas sabria that we've that we've discovered. Like so many things, John, that when they a thousand, two thousand years ago when Galen was, was was practicing medicine, when Aristotle was, was was theorizing about the human body, we didn't know. We thought the kidneys were the source of, of Eitzah, of, of wisdom, of Ruach HaKodesh. Maybe now what we realize that this this sort of like base function is, is something that could really be mafliel asais. We could actually realize how incredible God's Bria is that he, he created us in a way that we can be no saying, and we can be no saying in, in a way that isn't just a sentimental goop. Oh, I, I changed your life. I was the teacher that influenced you. I mean, this fellow and you are bound together. What's allowing him to, to enjoy his six-year-olds and, and, and dance at the kid's bar mitzvah and to maybe be at the chasana is a, a piece of body material that was put into John Kroll originally. And you have allowed that person to have that life. Part of you is, is living in someone else. It's, 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 it's fantastic. Yeah, it's very, so it's, it's not just like, I don't, I don't just feel like a sense of like, I have a, a tremendous chesed in the Kaddish Baruch. I feel it's thrilling. It's exciting to be able to feel like you did that. It's not, it's like, you know, really feel like, so many things that you do in life, you're right. You teach a sheer and like, who's paying attention? Who's noticing? I like to think that I make a difference, but sometimes you don't, you know, you don't know all the differences you make. This is something very black and white. You feel like you make a very big difference right here. And there's something very gratifying about it for sure. I, I want to tell you, and I'll end with this, is that one of my close students, you know, I teach adults. So one of my close students 
decided because of Project Renewal that they were in that about, about your age, that they were going to go and, and, and donate a kidney. And it turned out that the recipient was the father of their next door neighbor. They had no idea. But, but their, their next door neighbor, wow. father, and when the person found that out, can you imagine what sort of sense of achtus that was? Okay? It's not just the guy, you know, hey, I'll help you shovel your snow. It's because of you that my dad is with me. What that could do. I mean, we, again, we're so used to so much syrup, especially now during the Christmas season of, you know, of good cheer and goodwill. Project Renewal, this type of ischadshus, what's happening here, is something that I believe listeners of this program spread the word. Send this program out to others. Let people understand that there's regular Johns who are doing this. And all of us, really, if we could find people and help be part of that, uh, we, could, we could give the greatest gift, which is, of course, Zman, that you can be Makai Mitzvahs, you can enjoy the, the connections with families, that you can be Zoha, really, to what the Rabbi Nishon wants, to be Bayer Bechayim. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you again, John. Feel better. Feel good. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.